to Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast, except for today, it's not a music podcast. It's a climate emergency podcast. Um, as you know, and I will get into who uh, the opening song there in just a moment because it is a great song. But first, my guest today is Margaret Klein-Solomon, who is the executive director of the Climate Emergency Fund. As you may know, I recently produced and curated an album that benefits the Climate Emergency Fund with Sub Pop. The album is called The 11th Hour, Songs for Climate Justice. The link to buy that is in the show notes. All proceeds go to the Climate Emergency Fund. As I mentioned, Margaret Klein-Solomon, Ph.D., is the executive director of the Climate Emergency Fund. I thought it would be, I, I mean, it's important that I believed that she would come on to the podcast to discuss the climate and what is happening and what we can do and also how to manage our stress and fear and anxiety about the very serious climate emergency that is happening. Um, she is also the author of a book entitled Facing the Climate Emergency, How to Transform Yourself with Climate Truth. And if you go to, and all links to everything to buy the book, everything, all the links are in the show notes. She also has a website that goes along with the book called theclimateawakening.org, climateawakening.org, where you can join in conversations uh, about emotions of com- emotion and the climate, as well as download a free chapter of the book. So check out theclimateawakening.org. Again, all links are in the show notes. And speaking of show notes and music and the song, that song is SOS to the Cosmos by Marinero, a.k.a. Jess Sylvester, who's been on the podcast before. But uh, that is the, his song that he contributed to the Climate uh, Emergency Fund album that we put together. And um, he wrote the song. We asked him to do the album. He wrote and recorded that song in a week, and it's incredible. And it's uh, I chose to put it as the last song on the album because I think it sends... It ends the album on a great, uh, important message. And it just, it has this climactic feel to it that also sort of seemed to sum up the album and close it out perfectly. And uh, just as a little side note, he was inspired by the movie Don't Look Up and wanted to make a song sort of in a James Bond feel. Because climate emergency is the fucking enemy, for sure. Uh, The villain of our tale. Um, this is a very great episode with Margaret Klein Solomon. I'm very flattered and honored that she came on to the show. Please, by all means, donate if you can to the climate emergency fund. The link is in the show notes Buy her book. It's very helpful as well as go to the website. And, uh, I've personally like have been, I spiral about what is happening. And I feel like, she sends a message of hope as well as alarm that we need to be taking this seriously and we need to be acting now and we all need to do what we can and that is no joke and I will let her describe the rest because she's far more educated and articulate than me so please enjoy my conversation with Margaret Klein Solomon we need your help. Save us, maybe. 
Can you recall the moment where you, you sort of woke up to all of this and were like, oh, this is much worse than I had thought about? Yeah, there's a couple of um, like key points along the way there. One was Hurricane Sandy. Um, and, uh, you know, the city was so messed up after that, that, and all the kind of cleanup took a long time. So there were just these like smashed up cars everywhere for days and days. And one of them had a sign, someone put a cardboard sign on it that says, is global warming the culprit? Question mark. And so I kept having to walk by that sign and these smashed cars. And it's so obvious, right? Like, so it was just there in my face. Um, but uh, yeah, I, as I kind of became more of an adult, became, became more mature, uh, I was able to stop um, just getting overwhelmed and immediately like exiting, like starting, starting to read an article about climate and then just being like, no, 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 X. Because that's what I used to do. I would kind of dip a toe in and then just like quickly uh, uh, overheat and shut down. And, but that, but I started to, um, whatever, uh, gain emotional muscle and be able to read the whole article. And then I started reading some books and I saw that sign. But even the most, the most biggest transformative moment was not becoming aware of the problem, which is critical. I mean, it's the emergency. But actually, when my good friend said to me, don't start a blog, discourse isn't enough. Think, what could you do to actually solve this? And it was like my mind exploded, because it was like, oh yeah, that's what I want to do in my life. That's it. That's, this is my, this is my new, new mission right here. But I, and I had just never like gone that far in my head. Like I did, like I was an academic a psychologist. So like, um, so anyway, to me, sorry for the long, no, not at all. I like it. Explanation. But to, to me, the takeaway is Yes, you have to, I mean, definitely everyone needs to reckon with this reality and emotionally as well as intellectually and really think about what this means for your future and your hopes and dreams um, and, and, and the whole world. Um, that is definitely true, but every, people also need to really realize that there is a place for them in the movement that they are needed, that they can do a lot. They can be a huge part of our, us eventually winning this. Um, so, yeah. Uh, you've said something that was interesting to me about the uh, gaining the muscle memory to, because I do the same thing. I'll read about it and I'll think of my kids uh, or and I think not to not to brag, Margaret, but I have some trauma. So due to my trauma, I have these pat thought patterns that I like where I I often jump to the worst case scenario, <laughs> and, uh, and it's not a great thing. Um, but how do you have any advice or any way to explain how someone could read these things? Because I think we need to be 
educating ourselves and it is but sometimes it is overwhelming how do you handle that or how would you suggest people handle that yeah i it's such an important question i I really think this is at the heart of of everything how we relate to this reality and how we do we let it in or do we you know keep it out and um and it is so painful right so i think the first thing is to have self-compassion no matter where you are in your climate journey to recognize that this is the greatest problem humanity has ever faced that uh everyone there's many many people here trying to do their best but no one's totally figured it out you know that we're all we're in this together and because many people feel alone with the climate emergency they feel um yeah, that it's, uh, that no one understands everyone's acting normal. And so they assume that it's just them, but it's actually quite the opposite that, uh, according to a UN survey of global youth, 56% of young people think that humanity is doomed. Okay. Like there's, (laughs) there's a silent, uh, growing majority here of, people who understand they do get it but but what what's missing is the the movement right i like oh, okay so sorry i, I got to get back to your question okay but i'm interested in that too <laughs> <laughs> there's too much to talk about uh, right um so when you're when you're faced with the IPCC report or an article in the news or, a, you know, a hurricane uh, coming to a region near you or, you know, this this reality is is upon us. So you're going to be faced with it. And when you are, go find information. Don't just be a passive recipient. But, yeah, so have self-compassion. Welcome and explore your feelings with non-judgmental curiosity. Um, like I, I catalog in my book, facing the climate emergency, how to transform yourself with climate truth. I think 14 different ways that I feel about the climate emergency from grief to rage, to shame and guilt. Um, and it's all fine, right? Any, any way you feel is, uh, is worth listening to because again, this is a really crazy situation. So if you feel upset about it, if you're really alarmed and experiencing a lot of distress, just know that that is appropriate and it's nothing wrong with your brain or uh, your emotions. It's the problem is the actual emergency. And, and so that, that the pain that you feel actually is, is from the, the best parts of yourself that's that's the love you feel for uh your your family and uh your community and the, the whole human whole of humanity and the living world and that's that's you know your reaction about how um horrible this is that's why uh is is because of um yeah, your, your love and desire to protect and your sense of responsibility that maybe there's something that you should be doing here. So it's, you gotta, you gotta listen to that pain. Uh, cause it's, it's got a message. 
yeah, I mean, as a person with children, that is, I'm fine. I'm like, whatever happens to me, I can handle. I, I look at my kids, and it has affected the way I raise my kids. I hug them now with a different feeling than just love. There's fear when I hug my children. And there's, yeah. and it's, and I feel like they more than likely won't have a future like I had as a kid or the dreams that I was able to have because who the fuck knows what we're, where we're going to be at in 10, 15 years. And it's hard to get through each day carrying that and not to feel responsible. I mean, so what you're describing to to me is totally psychologically healthy and appropriate and mature, right? Like just, especially in the United States, there can be this like happy uh, emphasis. <laughs> like that, that, that the goal of psychology or whatever is to be happy or of life is to be happy all the time. And so, so what you're describing is living in reality is, and it's hard. Um, and I think it's really actually like, so, so again, in, in my book, I talk about five steps that people should take, uh, face the climate emergency is number one, uh, welcome fear, grief, and other painful feelings is step two, which we just spoke about. Step three is rethink your life story. And I think that's, it's kind of what I hear in, in what you're talking about, or I mean, whatever, it's a combination of number two and three, but that, that to, um, I mean, to, to grieve the fact that the future that you thought you had, the future that you had hoped that your kids would have all, all of that, all of our hopes and dreams and plans that it, there's, they're not gonna happen it's not i mean some version maybe but I, I it's um it's really uh incredibly dangerous situation and so so yeah by bringing it into your daily experience um and and your relationships i just think that's i just think that's exactly exactly what is needed and then you know, what I want to point out about you is that you also took another step, which is to say, I am going to do what I can to support disruptive climate protest. Um, you know, the cutting edge of, of climate protest. And that in my book <laughs> is step four is enter emergency mode. And step five is join the movement where you people ask, you know, what can I do? How can I get involved? Okay, so like congratulations, you went through the five steps of my book um, <laughs> without even without even knowing it. Um, but 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 true. I mean, truly, I think this is like an emotional arc that more and more people are are going on. You know, thankfully, um, because <laughs> it, it, there's just a kind of a logical progression um, where you get to uh, okay, well all of the things I love in my life are threatened by this. So I am really motivated 
to have an impact. Um, like, uh, I, you know, the historical analog that I think is most appropriate. Uh, well, I like to look at all the social movements, but the, the best comparison I think is act up the AIDS movement that, um, they were fighting for their lives. And as movement historian, Sarah Schulman recently wrote, um, desperate people are more effective than people who have time to waste. Um, that act up really embodied that spirit through, you know, I mean, they, they, well, maybe I'd like just to let, let everyone know. I mean, they were so brave. They occupied the FDA, the federal drug administration. They, um, broke into television studios and they disrupted a Catholic mass. They were also hilarious. They put a huge condom over, uh, Senator's house. Um, they, I mean, they were so brave and creative and disciplined. And I think that, and that's the spirit that we're starting to see in the movement. You know, I think, I think from especially young people, but you know, people of every age, but we're just, we're just starting to see this level of uh, recognition that the normal channels have failed help is not coming. We, so it's, I mean, it's just time to turn it up to an 11. I, I mean, what? Yeah. I don't, I don't understand. Like when you say no help is coming, like I know president Johnson was warned about this and so was Carter. And then Al Gore clearly knew what was going on because he made two films about it and, and books as well. And I'm like, what is, what is the, like, they know. So what is the plan? And like, you know, like food scarcity, et cetera. It's like, so is it just going to be like, sorry, poor people, you're on your own. Like, I mean, that's. Yes, like, absolutely. It's going to be the plan. Fucking mayhem. That, that, that is absolutely the plan. I mean, you know, it's not, it's not like they, uh, wanted this to happen <laughs> it's just that they didn't do anything to uh intervene it's just like the path of least resistance basically i mean just like mm, seems too hard to do anything um so and of course i mean the absolute corruption of our politics and the you know fossil fuel industry is the most profitable industry in the history of the world and they have truly bought off a shocking amount of our uh, politicians as well as institutions. I mean, like you've still got university departments funded by fossil fuels and museums. And I I mean, it's really shocking, um, that they're just what they've, what they've done, what they've done. And, and that, yeah. And that we're still letting them not just operate, but I mean, (laughs) receive huge windfall profits while gouging us at the pump. I, I mean, so it's, it, if there is like an evil industry, it is the fossil fuel industry. I mean, I think actually there's a few, but, uh, but yeah, fossil fuel industry is like some cartoon villain kind of thing. It's astounding. It's like, it's hard not to see it. Like there's a level of 
like it's almost like addiction where you're like it, I don't know we'll figure like where you just keep doing something and you know you're destroying your body and then but you're like I don't know that it'll work out <laughs> it's like it I is it is absolutely a- it is literally like an addiction um in which we can't stop fossil fuels today right if if we turn off the tap you know what system would break down right like we we literally are addicted to them which is why we need to both end the expansion of the fossil fuel industry the insane expansion um and massively scale up clean energy and then lower fossil fuels as rapidly as possible taking a ton of other policy measures as well um but so so yeah so anyway we are addicted and getting off is hard um but i mean are we gonna try yeah <laughs> or I mean, I also can't help but think like Americans. I was th- too, and I don't know if this, if I will, hopefully I can articulate as well. I was thinking about during World War II when people were like rationing and, you know, getting yes. scraps together and et cetera. I can't help but think there's a f- faction of our society that will be like, it's my right to blah, blah, you know, trucks, whatever it is. And I'm like, yeah. we've created this f- culture of like, yeah, like, Pouty fucking baby. Excuse me. I keep, sorry, I keep swearing. I have a, I'm one of those people, Margaret. <laughs> it's okay. It's a podcast. Thank you. I appreciate that. But that's, I feel like we've created this culture of like big babies who are going to not want it. Like, I mean, same with like the masks where it's like your other people's health is more important than your or less important than your pouty baby ways. I think, yeah, I think that (coughs) advertising and just trying to turn uh, Americans into consumers rather than engaged citizens have been really effective. Um, And there's a lot of people out there who really think of... Their consumption is very, very important to them personally. I know a lot of people like that. And I like even like I'm so programmed that sometimes I get some extra dough and I'm like, hmm. And I'm like, you don't have to do anything. You don't. It's like, of course, it's usually tends to be records. But um, I wanted to go back because there's something I read that you said that and I'm going to paraphrase it, that this the the psychological re- reluctance to see the threat, which I think is an important is an interesting and like my partner and I are planning to move from California because, hey, let's face it, it's not going well here. <laughs> and we tell people when they go, why are you leaving? And we're like, well, for starters, water. But the air is really bad. The fires aren't going to ease up. People look at me like we're insane. And I'm like, you know we don't have water. Like, you know these things are running out and it's not going to get better. But people just, they look at us like, they, it doesn't process. It's like I told them, actually, my feet are made of bananas. I may as well be saying that. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I think, yeah, I think that the media, back to don't look up, I mean, the, the media has really deeply failed um, over 
at least five decades. Um, and yeah, the, the, and misinform the public. I mean, just, just not made clear at all that we're in an existential emergency and that it's accelerating and that it's going to affect you. It's going to affect everyone. It is affecting you already. Um, that, yeah, I, I mean, the climate should be covered like COVID was when it was first uh, spreading. That, um, you know, multiple headlines day after day, whole sections devoted to it, the whole news team learning real quick about how stuff works. I, I mean, the fact that that isn't happening given the, the, I mean, just the reality is, I mean, it's in itself just kind of an amazing, confusing thing to try to understand. Um, but yeah, I, I understand why the public doesn't, um, know how bad it is because they have been lied to <laughs> a great deal. Um, so that, so that's one thing, but, but then also, even perhaps some of the people you're talking about do know that climate is very bad, but if they haven't taken those other steps of feeling their feelings and actually like, like uh, the defense of intellectualization or compartmentalization, right? Like, yeah, climate change. That's true. That's a, that's a thing, but that's separate from me. That doesn't, that's like a thing in the world or like in, you know, you know Americans uh, think, uh, wealthy people think, oh yeah, that's going to happen to other people. That's not going to, that's, you know, not, we're going to be fine, right? Like, um, uh, and of course, climate is affecting poor people in the global South and here, the, the worst people who lose their homes and cannot get another home. Um, for example, people, I like yeah, people being made homeless by these disasters. It's, I mean, huh. so to understand that it's actually happening to you, this is, you cannot avoid this. You need to process it on all levels of your being, including your future planning on every level, right? How many people are like planning their retirement in like 30 years or something and like saving for it? Like, I, I mean, it's, uh, I see like some weird future testing. I don't, but, um, so yeah, I, you said, or, or yeah, you, you mentioned that you have had some trauma and I have two. And I think that experiencing trauma and having an experience of processing it is perhaps and, and healing from it, though, you know, it doesn't undo what happened, but coming to some kind of whole state um, that, that I think that that is really the best preparation for confronting the climate emergency, reckoning with it and, and integrating it. Um, because yeah, I think for most people like, like kind of privileged Americans in their like bubble, 
it's the, on an emotional level, it's really, it couldn't be that bad because nothing that bad has ever happened to me. And when I've worried about things in the past being really bad, it's always been like, oh, I shouldn't have worried so much. It turned out pretty much okay, right? And going through a trauma is kind of the opposite of that, where you learn, oh, like shit really does happen. Like this is not, I'm not like just safe, uh, you know, things, it, it, the sense of kind of realistic existential vulnerability um, that if you if you haven't had something like that, um, yeah, I, I, there's a there's a just a deep illusion of safety and normalcy. Yeah, I, yeah I, it was interesting because you brought up the media, and I and by no means am I belittling what happened in South Africa at all, or South South Korea. Forgive me. Um, because that was terrible, but there was repeated news stories about it. But it was also, <laughs> yeah. and you know, it, it's a horrible tragedy. But also the same, it was the same time that, roughly the same day, days of the UN saying that they see no foreseeable pathway to us not exceeding one point five Celsius. And I was like, which is I saw read that somewhere on Twitter, and I'm like, shouldn't this be? a major story because this affects everybody. Of course. Everybody. <laughs> it's just like, and I'm like, do you, st- what hat, like, I guess what I, I feel like we've moved around, but it's like, how screwed are we? Like, is that, <laughs> is that an answerable question? So I, yeah, I have a little bit, I think of a, I guess that's, yeah, that's outside I, of the box view on this. Um, because I, the most people would tell you that it's really just about limiting damage at, at this point, And we just need to like, you know, warm the least amount possible, but I'm, I'm, I've got maximum fear and maximum hope. Um, I think we could turn it around. Um, and the reason I think that is because, I believe in the unbelievable power of human potential Um, that all of our efforts so far on climate, all of this technological development and everything, it is like a tiny drop in the bucket. We have not tried (laughs) as a a country, as a species. I, I mean, if you took the amount of creative energy the amount of resources that are going into uh making you know consumer electronics for example or military equipment um or you know more like as much of the economy as possible if you take that and turn it towards the actual crash program of not only restoring uh, pre-industrial levels of carbon in the atmosphere, but also a crash program to restore biodiversity and rewild as much as possible. Um, I just, I think we, 
I think we're thinking too small when we talk about limiting damage. I think our goal needs to be a beautiful and thriving, safe planet. And I think, and yeah, and I think if we actually make that our top goal as individuals and then uh, and institutions and governments, yeah, I, th- I think we can accomplish, like, I mean, like in World War II, uh, they broke every record uh, for production. You know, they were making like huge ships in three days by, you know, assembling it in modular parts and then welding it together. I mean, these, just these techniques of uh, production that had, they were just brand new, just spurred by the urgency of the moment, as well as resourced, sufficiently resourced. Um, they, uh, you know, the Manhattan project is morally dubious to say the least. Um, but scientifically and as a project, I mean, just incredible. They, they created a small city to, to, uh, to research and create oh, that weapon. So again, I, I mean, what does it say about us that we can marshal that kind of brilliance for, for weapons, but we have not yet done so uh, to do the most important and courageous and brilliant thing Um but yeah, if we if we can, if we can break that barrier, then yeah, I think we can do just about anything. I always I, something that's been dancing around my head lately is people there's always that saying of like if there was an alien attack, the earthlings would all unite and work together and I was like, "Hey, the alien attack is here. Sadly, we created it." But it's like we need to get right, we need to get together on a global level. Like there's no, because it's interesting because it's like, is there, I don't think America's going to lead the way. I think somebody's going to, unfortunately, I feel like we should be the ones, but I feel like we're too caught up in corporate bullshit. But is there, are there countries that are starting to take these measures on a larger scale or is it still just everyone's just messing around on a light scale? Yeah. Good question. Um, I honestly, I'm not up to date enough to really tell you. I mean, yeah, in terms of global leadership, I mean, yeah, I got to, I got to pass. I've heard a little bit like China is a bit, I mean, I mean, I mean, I know they put out a lot too, but are they not? I mean, like, like, let me, I I guess, let me put this a different way. (laughs) If, if any country was doing so great, uh, I would not need to look into it more and get back to you. I would be, I would be excited about it. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, no, no, no one's no country that I'm aware of is actively phasing out their fossil fuel uh, infrastructure and use. Um, just like just winding down the industry. Um, and and rapidly scaling up renewables, but then again, I I gotta I gotta double check that. So yeah, I just I mean I know China is 
storing food like for which is i'm like we should be coming up should we not be coming up with alternatives to like there's a small company that's doing like greenhouse farming and it's like you know upper a variety of levels and i'm like we need to be doing that like don't we need to start preparing in that manner now or is that paranoia no 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 i mean food security is really the number one thing with climate, I mean, there's all this stuff going on. I mean, there's the storms and there's like the tropical diseases and there's all of this uh, threat. But, but really, the, the number one thing is about crop failure and food scarcity, also caused by supply chain breakdown. Um, but as uh, Lester Brown, the former undersecretary of agriculture, said that the the key thing to watch here is that um, climate change causing drought, causing crop failure, causing mass migration, in, especially internally within countries, um, but also externally. But And then um, it's very destabilizing to a country uh, when, when there's just huge internal movements. Like right now in... Pakistan, 33 million people got displaced. I mean, like that is really challenging. Um, but so, but so, uh, but that was from flooding. But in Syria, they had the longest drought in their history. It caused mass internal migration. And then it that creates political destabilization as well. Right? So then, and, and uh, ultimately you can get state failure and uh, war and chaos and even whole regions uh, failing and and descending into to chaos. That's that's his vision, and that I think it's important to just keep that in mind as like the core process that's happening that threatens uh, human civilization and and mass death is is the crop filler is so and so so to your point yeah we should definitely be thinking about food we should be really 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 trying to feed ourselves into the future and i think we should have a commitment to feeding everyone on earth during this incredibly challenging time um for you know when so many people are are going hungry i i that's that might seem like a utopian vision but i think that it's actually in everybody's best interest because um yeah hunger will cause the collapse of civilization should i start stocking up on the canned goods is that what you're <laughs> <laughs> the thing is well the thing is with climate i think is really important to realize is there is no way to solve this alone right you can't do it. And I tried, I thought about first I thought about, okay, I'll get like my whole extended family together and we'll go to their big spot in Ohio, whatever. Like I had a plan, <laughs> but, it, but I, I, as I played it out, I was like, Oh, this would not work. Right. Cause the neighbors are going to come at us with machine guns. Um, Cause it's Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's like you, you get to the, point the realization that create joining a social movement and joining in to create transformative change in our politics and society is it that is 
actually a self-interested thing to do. It is also a moral and responsible thing to do and something that people do out of, yeah, out of a sense of, um, how, how unjust things in the world that is also true. It's both, but I, I'm, (laughs) I'm a believer in the power of self-interest and I think it's being badly misdirected. Now people are confused about what's their self-interest. They think that it's, getting more financial security for them and their family or for getting canned goods or whatever. They think this can help uh, protect them, but I really don't think it can. I think the only thing that can is to get in on this movement. The the movement can, can win. And um, yeah, I, I think it's our only hope. Yeah. I saw an article maybe a month or two ago from in mother Jones about how, saying oh food scarcity isn't that big of a problem like that's all paranoid and i was like huh. I, I know and i was like that's a very privileged i mean who huh. it's a very privileged and um because i'm like it's already a problem around the world which i was like i was infuriated by the yeah, it was a very irresponsible article that's really weird i mean we have a hunger problem in this country now I mean, that's, you can say, oh, that's not food scarcity, that's poverty. But I, I mean, wait, we have, I mean, there's, this is a broken system. The whole, the whole agriculture, you know, big ag, Monsanto, uh, carbon intensive, pesticide intensive, factory farm, that, that kind of agriculture, warming the climate, and it's not producing uh, the, the results that we need, which is to f- to feed people. I mean, to feed to feed everyone. Uh, so I don't know, Matt. We've got our work cut out for us. We certainly do. Um, I wanted to talk to you because because you are you're one of the big wigs. We'll say big wigs at uh, the Climate Emergency Fund. Uh, but, but I feel like a, some of the work that. Uh, just stop oil has been doing has been rather controversial. Um, I, and I, I have had a number of arguments with people and I would like to say debates, but they were arguments, (laughs) uh, about people throwing soup on paintings and stuff. I'm, of course, I'm like, I, I think what people, a lot of people don't realize for starters is that they're always protected by glass. So it in itself is an act of, it's a statement and I would say a creative and artistic one as well, which I, it baffles me that many people don't see that. But I was just curious to how you address that and how to make people, I think, because I think people like to get, I'm sorry, I'm, this is really long, but I think people like to get angry about it because if they get angry about that, it takes away the thought of, oh yeah, I'm not angry at oil companies and it sort of justifies your, your, your not afraid of the other thing yeah i think when you see that protest when when one sees it it triggers feelings of anxiety fear um mm, they're saying just stop oil is that possible you know the climate you know this is it, it that's it feels bad um and so it's a little bit of like shoot the messenger 
going on. You know, these horrible kids made me feel really bad. And I'm, I'm angry about that. I, that's, that's, um, that's something I hear a lot in the, in the otherwise somewhat bizarre outrage. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> they are trying to wake people up to the climate emergency. So like, just think about it that way. Like, how unwelcome is that message? People do not want to be woken up. Or, or, or let me actually, let me change that. Part of them doesn't. That we have these, you know, mental structures of defenses to, to that kind of protect us from uh, painful realities. The one thing I hear is like, well, that's not the way to get the message across. That's the they're, oh, they're yes, making sorry. more enemies. They're making yes. more enemies than they are. And I'm like, I just heard the one of the people who threw soup on NPR. So I'm like, well, something's working. They're getting on NPR. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a few things going on. One is that you know they don't teach social movements in school, like, and the media doesn't know what's how they work or just or doesn't report on them. So there's, there's a, a real like just lack of understanding. I, I mean, like one thing that I ask people when they get enraged about it is like, what climate protests are you aware of that happened this year? Um, and, and it's not because none are happening, right? Just stop oil. The group that threw the soup, uh, shut down so many fossil fuel infrastructure sites in April. They were arrested hundreds of times. They shut down uh, 10 infrastructure sites for several days in a region that significantly cutting off the supply of gas in there. I mean, so, so yeah, that was the most infuriating criticism is why don't they block oil. It's like, oh my God, <laughs> they've been arrested hundreds of times for doing so. And the amount of media coverage that got was certainly some, but the amount, especially internationally, really pales in comparison to the soup. And so I honestly, I feel like if you're, if you're mad about it, I, I think, well, I mean, I think obviously the fossil fuel companies is an appropriate target, but also the media, right? Like it shouldn't take soup to actually get this conversation going. Um, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be so hard. They, I mean, the, the, if the media covered the climate, like the emergency it is, we'd be in a totally different situation. And then if they covered the, the protest and movement, work that is going on if they took that seriously then there would be no need for um sensationalist disruptive protest but they don't this i mean so yeah the fact that they actually got through that people know about the protest even if they have negative feelings about it being denounced is much better for an activist than being ignored 
because you're a psychologist and the thing you said about young people, 56%, I believe you said, feel yeah. that the world is doomed. And I'm just wondering if, I guess, two parts. I, well, no, just one. If if there is behavioral implications to this, because part of me feels like, well, if we're, things are headed this way, maybe I should try some things I've always been afraid of. <laughs> Like what, you know, not heroin, but you know, because uh, uh, there's, you should rightfully afraid, be afraid of that. But I don't, it's like chaining yourself to a government building. Yeah. That, that one. Um, but I'm just curious, like, because I feel like I'm wondering, like people are going to become unhinged possibly. It's hard to hang on to this like, sanity in this time. Yeah. I think, um, 45% of the young people globally say that their climate anxiety is affecting their daily lives. Um, I mean, it's really a lot of people. Um, and, you know, it affects different people differently. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's not going away. It's not, nothing that we're talking about is going to get better. In fact, it's all going to get worse at an accelerating rate. All we have to do is nothing. All we have to do is just keep going on with our lives and we will live through or, or not live through just uh, truly unthinkable horrors. And so I, to, you know, to me, and I, this is what I recommend to everyone, you know, this is like a big red flashing light in your face. That is how it should be. It should be hard. It should feel really bad. Um, and, you know, you live in reality and let's do everything we can um, because it's not, it's not over. Like, I, I don't know. I just, I have this, I have this belief in, uh, human potential. Um, so that's, that's the other answer to despair. I mean, that's, that's what we need to do as a movement. This is our fundamental challenge is to turn that despair into disruptive political action. Because if we do, they're going to fold in two seconds, 40% of young people globally disrupting normalcy and demanding change. I mean, this is huge. So if we can just take that, yeah, take that despair and turn it into fuel for the movement, which again, I mean, it seems, which is, that's the story of my life. <laughs> and I, it seems like it's what you're doing too. I mean, my, my experience with this album is that you were just, you just said, all right, I'm going to make a benefit album. And then you went and did it, arranged everything. I mean, just did it. And to me, there's only one force that can motivate I've seen motivate someone so selflessly. So like with so much just dedication, I'm just making this happen. And that's, you know, this mentality of I'm, I'm going all in, I'm doing what I can do. Do you, cause somebody asked me the other day, they're like, I don't know what to do. And I was like, I, my, I, I was unfortunately a little at a loss, but I was like, f I was like, find these organizations, find 
I'm like, wherever you are, there has to be a chapter for like Extinction Rebellion. I was like, find, act locally was basically my short answer here. And I was wondering if you would suggest who to follow, what to do, what people can do, how can they get involved if they, especially if they feel a little bit like not sure where to go. Yeah, sure. Well, so one thing that to keep in mind is the movement in the U.S. has not really bounced back since COVID. There is a lot of stuff going on. There's some green shoots. But my point is to people who don't know what to do, that is understandable. We really need a large national campaign um, that is disruptive and you know, momentum based. I, I think I, so anyway, that's something I would love to see happen and make that question really easy to answer. Um, but at present, yeah, you, I think, um, there's some, there's some really strong, uh, local chapters, uh, like extinction rebellion, New York city, Washington, DC, uh, um, are great. Also good Twitter, um, I mean, I'm basically going to tell you about Climate Emergency Fund's grantees because those are the groups who I know are doing amazing work who uh, you know we're most aware of. So you can, people can also go to our website and check out our grantees page. But um, uh, Scientist Rebellion is a great group if you're a scientist, but they de- define that fairly broadly. So if you're a doctor or whatever, um, engineer, um, yeah, they and and even if you're not a scientist, you can still support the group. Uh, you can still be in this group in a support role. But you know that they're the group is scientists who take disruptive direct action. Um, so, um, it depends. It depends where you are. Um, what you know, what your skill sets are, what you're willing to do. It's, it's a complicated question, but I think the core pieces of guidance that I would give people as they consider it are uh, that supporting disruptive action is the fastest way to create change. So if that's going to be financial support or other kind of support, um, I, I would, I, I think channeling it towards the, really the bravest, uh, most disciplined, um, and strategic people that you're willing to find people you can find who are willing to like escalate. Um, so yeah, if there's some things that anyone can do, um, talk about the climate, break the silence in conversations with friends, family, neighbors. I think that's really important uh, kind of social dynamic that we can reverse going from silence to, and I think this is part of what the soup did, but going from silence to talking. <laughs> um, so yeah, number one is talk about the climate movement. Number two is try to find somewhere to join. But if, if you can't, and like I said, there's some challenges right now in the movement then support financially. I, I mean, I, I think, I think that's a, I think, you know, there, we, you could be a small donor, you could be a big donor, but I, if people are freaked out, want to support the movement, that is uh, just a really clear way. And I think that that's something that Climate Emergency Fund 
offers our donors is, like I said, this stuff is complicated, right? Which organizations, which demands, which tactics, who's coordinating? Like, by, by donating the Climate Emergency Fund, you don't need to necessarily become an expert in movement studies or whatever to, to be able to have a real impact. Um, you know, we have over 4,500 donors, large and small. And yeah, we create a safe, legal, tax-deductible way to support these activists. Thank you so much, Margaret. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me.